that was the change for me. Like I found a group of people that accepted me for who I was, who supported me, you know, and it was like all of a sudden, like, it was like this world that was gray and dark and dreary all the time, all of a sudden had color again. It was like the Wizard of Oz. Like I started to feel human again. I just felt like I was in this this dark place, like truly a dark place for so long. And then, you know, just being around the right people, the right environment. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are hearing this, you have once again to the Consequence of Habit podcast. And this is your host, JT. You know, on this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with our guests about the impact that habits have played in their life, both good and bad. And we use these conversations to help us better understand the things that are in our control and the things that aren't. It helps us analyze the things we do on a daily basis and have an honest conversation about whether those things are adding value to our life or they're holding us back. So with that said, let's get it started. 2022 is coming to a close and I I think this is a great time to to say thank you to the the organizations that make this thing possible. So I'm going to start off with Athletic Brewing Company, my favorite beer. It just happens to be N.A. beer. So if you're like me and alcohol does not fit into your life, or maybe you're just somebody that, that doesn't want to drink tonight, please give these guys a shot. If it's your first time trying it, use promo code capital COH20 and get 20% off your first order. Next, I want to say a huge thank you to the Patriot Fund. The workshops that we do with for the veteran community would not be possible without these guys. If you want to check them out, go to thepatriotfund.org and see the work that they're doing. Lastly, I want to say thank you to Meridian Bank. I've been screaming from the hills here the past couple of weeks and on how amazing this organization has been and how much support they're giving us. So if you guys need a bank, head on over to meridianbank.com. All right, last month we started a, we started a program where we, we highlight COH ambassadors. And this week we are highlighting COH ambassador Chris Bachman. You hear from this interview, Chris doesn't really, well, Chris doesn't really half-ass anything whether that's running or philanthropic work where she raises money and awareness for the veteran community or just inspiring people around her to improve their habits. Now, you're going to hear some, some pretty heavy stuff where Chris really describes why con- the, the idea of consequence of habit means so much to her, but I'm going to let her tell that story. So without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Chris Bachman. Everybody, welcome back to the Consequence of Habit podcast. This is this is the second episode where we are spotlighting one of our COH ambassadors. Uh, today, we have the privilege of sitting down with Chris Bachman. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on. I feel so privileged and honored to be here. Wow! Yeah, and so you know when, when this whole thing with COH was kind of getting going, and, and we we announced this ambassador program. And you were one of the first to jump on it. And I was super excited because we had been introduced by, was it Dale? Mm-hmm. Yep. Dale, Dale Walls, another amazing podcast. Um, and, you know, I started following your content. You started, you know, following what we're doing here at COH. And there, there seemed to be some synergy in, in everything we're doing. And it wasn't until actually I had a conversation with you after the fact that made me understand a little bit more why that was, right? Because... You know, when we look at people's social media, we see this, uh, we see a glimpse into their life, but it's, you know, we get to pick what everyone sees. We don't always get to see some of the the, the, the tougher things. But um, first off, 
before we get into all that stuff, uh, where are you now and, and, and where did you grow up? Um, I live in uh, southeastern Wisconsin, and I'm still, that's where I was born and raised. I haven't moved away yet. Um, I live about 25 minutes away from where I grew up. Amazing. Uh, just outside Milwaukee. Okay. Now, you are somebody that takes uh, physical fitness very seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, can you just give give the listeners here just kind of a synopsis of what what your passion around uh, fitness is it like, what, you know, is it, is it whatever the exercises is, what are the things that really kind of get you going? Yeah. You know, I grew up um, being a total tomboy, just wanted to do whatever the boys were doing. If, if they were playing, you know, football, I was right in there. If they were, you know, my dad was fishing, I was right in there with him. Um, played, started playing sports in middle school and, um, you know, it was just naturally athletic, um, but not necessarily like a standout athlete. Um, I was kind of like the jack of all trades that could do whatever um, and played softball and basketball. And I was good at those things. I had to work really hard, though. And I realized that about myself. If I wanted to stay competitive with everyone else, that I'd have to put in some extra time. So that was going to the batting cages. That was, you know, shooting. You know, I don't know how many free throws after dinner every night. Um, so I started some of those behaviors kind of rather early on in my life, uh, just because I was naturally competitive, but knew that there was always people out there that were that were better than me. And I knew that the only way that you could do you could get better was to continually practice. Um, and then it wasn't until I was a senior in high school that I found running and um, started uh, running cross country and my first meet, I took fifth place and knew that this was this was something that I could excel in. And um, I was I already was was rather disciplined um, right away. And so some of the girls on the team that had been on for a couple of years didn't like me because of that. Um, they saw someone that wasn't going to cut the course short for that day, and that was you know going to work hard and. Um, and then I think eventually they saw me more as a as a leader and kind of got on board to everything. And we had a really great season after that. Um, so I continued on with with track um, and ran all the, the distance events, the two mile, the mile, the two mile relay and was asked to run for a D3 school uh, for college, but but didn't really feel confident enough in my ability Um just because I hadn't been doing it for that long. And I knew I was going into a competitive program in college and and they only accepted a handful of people into that program. So I knew academics was going to be the number one thing I had to focus on. And I didn't quite, I wasn't that passionate about running yet. So there's something I I, I just want to, I want to ask you about, and that's, and that's really kind of being comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. So most people, when they first start running, anyone who's running a, a cross country meet knows that that is, yeah, it's literally, it's pain from the very beginning, right? <laughs> throughout the entire thing. There's nothing comfortable yes. a, about it. And, and when you talk about some of the other sports, and this isn't to diminish those sports, right? Like every sport has their aspect where it takes discipline. Uh, you got to work at it. Mm-hmm. But those endurance sports, uh, they suck so much in the moment 
that mm-hmm. I think there's not many people, uh, a lot of people shy away from these things, right? So mm-hmm. what do you think it was about you that, that not only was okay with that, but, but really kind of uh, thrived in that? It's a funny question. Um, you know, at the time I was going through some kind of challenging um, times with my mom. Like mm-hmm. we were not getting along. We were just going, you know, head to head about everything. Um, you know, I, my mom had a very tight leash. She had a tight rope on and I wanted to do everything else. I was going to do the opposite of what she said. Mm-hmm. And so she told me, no, I was going to do it. I didn't get into trouble that way um, per se, but I just, I felt so constricted and running was something that helped me deal with all of the emotions that I was feeling. It helped me, you know, kind of reduce some of that anger and that, um, like I said, the negative emotion, it was very freeing. It was like, yeah. I could get away for that period of time. And I can still see that I use some of those behaviors now right. Right, right. <laughs> that, you know, if I need to get away, I know I could go for a long run and come back and feel much better. Yeah. And I, correct me if I'm wrong. It's, it's also, it's just like, you know, you kind of said it, but it's this release of energy that mm-hmm. you can get out and a lot of people find stillness in that after the fact, right? It's they, they, they find that stillness after where they've gotten it all out and then, you know, things can kind of settle down a little bit. Was mm-hmm. that something you experienced as well? Or was it, was it more just kind of in the moment? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I felt like I could um, come to peace with myself. I could reason better. I wasn't so yeah. kind of irrational. Um especially being a a teenage girl, you know, we can be quite irrational at times. Uh, So yeah, so I just kind of channeled all of that, that negative energy into something that was positive. And I feel like that's kind of been my, my go to, you know, throughout all of these decades of running. So, so now you're in college, and you're you're really studying, uh, you've decided that, hey, studying is where it's at. what at, at what point did I mean did did running kind of just fall off at that point or was this something that was kind of still somewhat consistent throughout your entire? No, I, I kept I kept running. Um, I found you know kind of my tribe there of runners, which was great. We ended up doing like a Ragnar run. Um, like for we went ran across like half the state, which was yeah. really fun. Um, so yeah, I, I've always been active, you know, I've never not been active in my entire yeah. life. I like, I, I need that release. So just kind of kept rolling with it. What, what, what happens if you don't have it? I mean, I'm sure there's, there's parts of your life where you haven't had that outlet. What is like the first signs? Like, Oh man, I need to, I better, I better go outside and do something. <laughs> um, that's funny. I, I had a, a stress fracture, uh, after, well, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So I was um, training for marathons again, and I was training for Boston, and it was a, a dream of mine to run Boston forever. Like I, that is the Super Bowl to me, and I think it's that to a lot of runners is to qualify for Boston and to run it. And um, as I was doing that, uh, a friend had reached out to me, and she. Um, started a nonprofit that was benefiting um, pediatric cancer because she lost her son. And we had become really good friends. And uh, it was 
a moment where we had, I said, you know, Sarah, if there's anything I could do for you, I, I will do it. I'll do whatever you need and whatever, you know, you need for, for G9, the, the nonprofit. And so she reached out to me and said, you know, would, as you train for Boston, would you, would you mind like doing like a fundraiser campaign, you know, to help moms get moving and to just show it like you're, you know, I'm just a mom of, of three. And, you know, show other moms that they can do things too. They can do, you know, great things. And it doesn't mean like it's running a marathon. It means it could be running a block. It could be running a mile, whatever that is, just take that first step. And that was kind of how I started getting into social media and showing my progress, showing my day to day of what I do, what my habits are. And uh, it was, it was great. We ended up raising um, a, a decent amount of money. But as I was training, I was developing an injury. And I had put so much time and so much effort into this, this campaign, I did not want to let her down. Mm. And so I knew that I couldn't run the I, I had to run it, like, no matter what, I was going to run this race. And so I did. And it was a total suffer fest. Nice. Uh, I mean, it was really bad. Um <laughs> But, you know, I finished and um, I took some some time off after that and then started training again, thought I could maybe do a, a fall marathon. And uh, I just couldn't get past 15 miles. And I, you know, I was seeing every specialist that you can think of. I went to PT. I went to, um, you know, uh, chiropractors. I you, you name it. I saw them and I'd get better and then it'd get worse again. And so finally in October now, this has been how many months, um, I go to, to an uh, orthopedic doctor and he's like, you know, Chris, have, have you been imaged yet? Like, if you, have you had an MRI? And I was like, no, like, cause I always got better. He's like, well, let's do an MRI. So do that. Turns out that I had a stress fracture in my sacrum, Ouch. which is completely rare. It's like one to 2% of all stress fractures. Oh my god! And it it happens in you know female distance runners, um. But yeah, what a, a punch in the gut! Um, in a way, it was a complete relief because finally now I had an answer to why I couldn't right. keep going. Yeah. Um. But also, like, what you know, what does this mean? And he's like, well, you know, no running for sure for at least twelve weeks. And I was like, uh. oh boy, like. You know, when you um, have created your identity around being a runner and now you don't yeah. have that identity, you feel yeah. somewhat lost. Um, you know, I didn't know how to deal with a lot of emotions. I didn't know how to deal with feelings. Uh, it was kind of a mess um, for a little mm -hmm. bit. And so, you know, the one thing that he said I could do was swim. And I knew how to swim, but I didn't know how to swim a stroke. Like, I didn't know yeah, 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 what yeah. that even meant. And so I was like, okay, well, I have to keep moving. Like, I can't stop. I'm not just going to sit around for 12 weeks. And so I got my swim cap and my goggles, and I went to the pool, and I just, like, distinctly remember sitting in my car, and I just started sobbing. Like, there was so much emotion um, involved, you know, around this and this injury and what this meant. And, and now I had to learn something new. And, you know, I let this happen for like a good five minutes. And then 
that was it. It's like, okay, good. You had your pity party. Now go get your butt in the pool. And so I I did. I took um, a few lessons from a friend and I was terrible. I was terrible at swimming. I look back at videos and I'm like, oh man, like this, this is not good. Swimming is a whole nother animal, right? Like you can be a a really, really fit person. I mean, be able to run, bike, do amazing things. And uh, the pool will make you feel like you are the most out of shape, uncoordinated person uh, that's ever lived. (laughs) It's the complete truth. But with that being said, I'm like, I am going to figure this out. Like I have to figure this out. And and what's worked for me in the past is that I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. And so I would go every day to the pool and I'd get better and I'd get better. And then I would take, I took master swim classes and I totally didn't belong there. And I'd get, you know, my, my butt handed to me by everyone there every single time. But everyone there knew who I was and why I was there. And they became actually good friends. A lot of triathletes and, um, sure. And they just kind of took me under their wing and they're like, gave me advice. And, you know, we swam laps on my birthday and, you know, like it, there just became a a really good community of people to help. And so it really helped me get through that time that I could run. Like, I I don't know what I would have done otherwise. So that's a a long, a long answer to you. No, 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 no. But it's good because it it actually discusses some of the things, you know, I would like to talk about as well. And, and you mentioned identity, right? So we get ourselves so wrapped up in whatever it is we, we are doing and we're, you know, portraying and, and all these things. And when that's taken away, that ability to find something else is, is huge, right? Because otherwise, um, well, we don't always know who we are at that point. So mm-hmm. you, you get lost and especially with something like exercise where, uh, for some people that is their medication. Mm-hmm. We talked about being able to release the, these, uh, energy and, and, uh, emotions and, and without it, this stuff just kind of gets pent up. So, yeah, I mean, that's not to minimize me. That is a big deal to a lot of people and it. And I, I completely get it. Um, you know, w- when we talk about habits, Again, clearly just looking at the surface, you've, you've uh, developed a lot of really, really good habits, mm-hmm. um, both physically and I know you, you be, became a nurse, uh, mm-hmm. correct, right? Yep. Um, so you go to school, you become a nurse, uh, everything seems to be going really, really well for you. What point, are, are there certain things where you were struggling on, on habits? Because, uh, you know, I, I said before we hit record here. Uh, usually there, there's people that are, um, we're talking about extremes, right? There, there's something, mm-hmm. they're really go-getters. There's always, not always, but a lot of times there's, uh, it's this yin and yang, right? This, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but trying to find this balance when we're extreme one way, it could be kind of go in different places as well. Is that something you experienced yourself or, or was everything mostly on the positive side? Yeah. Um, actually that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of, um, my good habits have stemmed from, um, some bad times in my life. Mm. Um, addiction runs in my family. Um, you know, uh, alcoholism for sure, uh, dealt with a lot of that with, um, you know, my, my dad and, and other people in my family. Um, 
And, you know, I've had my own problems, not with alcohol, but um, I had an eating disorder when I was in high school and college. And um, it was a way for me to control what was happening. And I, and I briefly discussed, you know, having problems and uh, a troubled relationship with my mom. And, and a lot of, of the control was wanting to control um, things that were going on outside besides that relationship. Um, and so those were some pretty, pretty dark times in my life. Um, uh, I think we talked a little bit earlier, but, you know, I would describe it as every day, like every minute feeling like an hour, every hour feeling like an entire day and every day feeling like an eternity, like it just wouldn't end. Mm. And I knew I needed help um, and I was offered help but I didn't know how to accept the help. I didn't know how to make it stop. Like, like my mom got, you know, she's like, here, go in and see a dietitian so she can, you know, teach you how to eat properly. And it's like, mm-hmm. she didn't understand, yeah, like, yeah. that's not the problem. Right, right, right. Like I, you know, and she did that. And I'm like, I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what this woman says. Like every single thing, mm-mm. like I'm doing the opposite. Yeah. Um. And so that was a a really, really, really dark time. Like I, um, and I, and I suppressed a lot of that for a long time. A lot of people never knew. Um, I lost a lot of friends, uh, during that time. Um, you know, I had a friend's parents that would reach out to my parents with concern, um, cause everyone could see it, you know, I thought I was hiding it and, and, and it was so completely obvious. Um, and it got to the point where my health started to fail. Um, I developed a seizure disorder because of it. Wow. Um, I, I was not healthy at all. And, and I think, um, some of the, the, wake up moments for me was the thought of not being able to have kids if I continued down that path. Sure. Um, because I was, you know, I'm, I'm a very like maternal type person. I'm, you know, obviously I went into nursing because I care about people and I've always wanted to have children. I've always wanted to have that in my life. And, and the thought of not being able to do that because of something I'm doing to myself, like seemed like, okay, we, you have to make a change. Um, we're, we're, go ahead. When you said you had to make a change, was it, was that a conscious decision you made? Was there, was there just a point where like kind of a rock bottom where enough people reached out or because that's, that's very hard for a lot of people in, in real time to be able to make that significant change. Cause by the time you get there, Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of shits happen, right? Like there's, it's, yeah, right. It's a lot, it's a lot to, un- uh, to unpack. Yeah, you know, I don't think I had um like one moment. Um, you know, it was going to the hospital. Like I was in college and I was away from home, so I would have to walk to the hospital to have tests done by myself like to have these EEGs done and I couldn't drive because of the seizures. And, you know, I just felt like my life was getting stripped away. Um, and then, you know, I think I just had a moment where I was like, this, 
the school where I'm at, I'm like, I don't love it here. You know, I, I'm not going to get into the program that I wanted to get into. And so why am I staying here? You know, I, I don't really like it. So I moved um, back to Milwaukee and was able to um, go to, to UW-Milwaukee, got into their nursing program there. And that was, a, that was the change for me. Like I found a group of people that accepted me for who I was, who supported me, you know, and it was like all of a sudden, like, it was like this world that was gray and dark and dreary all the time, all of a sudden had color again. It was like the Wizard of Oz. Like I started to feel human again. I just felt like wow. I was in this this dark place, like truly a dark place for so long. And then, you know, just being around the right people, the right environment. Um, I got a job at the hospital right away. Um, so I was working. They were paying for tuition. Like it was just like all the, the cards started to stack up in the right direction. And you're like, okay, like I'm doing the right things now. And, yeah. and my health is following along with it. You know, like I finally was feeling good about myself again and good about the way that my body felt. And and it was just, you know, like I said, meeting the right people and, and it all kind of felt right. I mean, one of the questions I, I, I've, I wanted to ask you is when did just playing, just running and physical, because you, I, feel, I think you train every single day, don't you? It seems like you're uh, you're doing something every single day. Uh, I take, I take rest days, but yeah, you? So one day a week, maybe. Yeah. I don't like to, but I do. <laughs> you don't. I guess a lot of people are, are also wondering, how does somebody fit all of these things in? How do you know, how do you make time? Cause you're a mother of three, mm -hmm. yeah. mother of three. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're working and you're still continuing to do all of these things. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you mentioned control before is time management been something you're really on top of? Is it just been something that you're, you're pretty regimented about? Um, yeah, that's something that my husband will say that you are the most disciplined person that I know you will find a way. And I, and I do like, if that means, you know, waking up before everyone, you know, gets up, if it's, you know, 4am to get a run in because I have a busy day and I know I wouldn't get it in otherwise. Um, I do it. Um, you know, and, and honestly, like my family's been so supportive of me and kind of my goals and what I've wanted to do. And so, you know, it's, it's become easier now that the kids are getting older as well. So, you know, they're in school all day. I can, can kind of sneak things in that way. Um, but it's just, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's just kind of like what, when you wake up every day and you make your bed and you have breakfast, like I, mine is like, I have a run in there somewhere and I just make it work every single day. Do you find it's hard? I don't even know if hard is the right word. Um, but you hold yourself to a very high standard when, as far as that stuff goes. Uh, is it is it frustrating not to f see that in other people or have the same type of expectations or do you accept the fact that I'm this is me and this is just the way I am and I'm pretty disciplined a little more disciplined or a lot more disciplined than a lot of people around me? Uh, I think I realize that I'm a, a different breed for sure, yeah. <laughs> um, right. but you know, also running is a journey. 
and I and I understand that for a lot of people, and and as I'm starting to coach uh, people on on my own as well, is that um, we all progress at at different rates, at different stages, uh, some faster than others, you know. Um, and I always want people to not compare themselves. You know, I try not to compare myself with with other people because I know that there's other people that are much better than than me out there, and I. Um, I think that sends that goes down kind of a negative trajectory yeah. and I just want to stay positive. Like the only person that I have to, to win or to beat is, is myself. Yeah. And that means doing everything, you know, did I do everything right? Did I do all the little things right? And it's all those little habits that now I, as I've become more of a, a mature runner, a master's runner, I I have to do all the little things right if I want to continue on the sport for another decade or two. So, you know, that means, you know, um, strength training is huge for me. Um, it's having body work done. It's doing, it's stretching and mobility work. It's taking rest days, even though I don't always like it. It's doing yoga. It's, you know, um, cold pools, it's saunas. It's doing all of those little things because I have to do it. I have to do it if I want to keep making progress. And I understand right. that it's very important. And that's all part of, of, of what I have to do to, to stay strong and injury free. And that's another big thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you've also been involved in a lot of different things. I mean, you mentioned the G9 nonprofit. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something that's still up and running? Is that something people can still visit? Um, it, it's not called G9 anymore. Uh, they have joined forces with another, um, a few other pediatric nonprofits and I can okay. share the name with you, but yeah. Yeah. Well, just let me know and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, and then you've been involved in the race across America as well. Yes. Now, if anyone knows what, what you know, I'm going to let you just kind of give an elevator pitch of, of what Race Across America is. A lot of listeners will already know, but but just in case, let you fill them in. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, you know, as my second child was born, um, I decided to to stay home with them and and raise my children. Um, my husband is an entrepreneur. He's quite busy with his job. And so we figured we can't have two people having kind of crazy jobs and, and you know, running in, in different directions, trying to raise three kids. And it was a sacrifice that I was willing to make. Um, but as they were starting to get older, I was once again, like, getting that itch to, like, do something. Like, I... Um, am not needed the same way that I was when they were so little. And I need to use my time and talent in a way that um, gets me excited again for, for life and for, you know, projects. And I happened to connect with, um, with someone and we started a nonprofit called the One Mile Leadership Project. And it was, our, our vision was to connect high achievers in all different aspects of, of life, uh, whether they were entrepreneurs, military, uh, Olympians, uh, former pro athletes, like we wanted to bring this group of people together because we did find that there was a commonality between everyone of, you know, a, a mindset that was similar. Um, but what we also noticed was like the, the former athletes, like the former Olympians, the ex-military. And um, we had just mentioned about identity is, you know, still needing that identity. 
These people are wonderful wealth of knowledge and have so much experience to share to the world and within the community. And we wanted to create a place where they could share their wisdom with the rest of us. And so that's how our nonprofit started. And we were kind of just gaining a lot of traction at the time. We had about 500 members. It was um, a global uh, group. And we're like, let's, let's do an event. Like, let's, let's do something really crazy. And so my co-founder was like, let's do Race Across America. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. What, what is it? <laughs> I had no idea what it even was. And so I quickly learned that Race Across America is a, a, a 3,000 mile bike race that starts in Oceanside, California and ends in Annapolis, Maryland. It's, it's continuous nonstop, 24-7. You go through 12 states and um, teams it can be anywhere from soloists to eight-person teams. We uh, chose to do an eight-person team and we, we, you know, out of our group, we didn't seek the top cyclists in our group, we chose a total mixed group of, um, you know, f- a former NFL player, um, a, a Paralympic hopeful, a um, Canadian actress. Like we had such a, a broad mix of people, but we also wanted it to appeal to a wide audience um, to see like this group of people, ha- you know, have never met each other. I mean, we ended up doing a, a training camp beforehand, but like, like, look at what we can do. And so can you like, and so um, our goal was to help um, and support veteran uh, mental health uh, programming. And we were supporting two nonprofits uh, by doing that. And once we decided to th- to do that, it was like the whole mission made sense. We had a lot of uh, military um, individuals on our team, uh, both active duty and uh, and former military, and they were just a wealth of knowledge and really insightful on um, the the mental health problems that that the military deal with on a daily basis. It was completely eye opening to me. Um, you know, I had always supported the military, but I now have such a deeper understanding of, of the troubles that they deal with every single day. And so yeah. it was, it was a wonderful thing. Um, also on our, on our support crew. So we have eight riders, but you know, we also need a support crew. That means driving vehicles, um, and, and helping the riders get across the country. And so we had 16 support crew, uh, to do that. So that's 24 people plus two media members. So we had a team of 26. Uh, we had a, a tour bus that slept 12, two sprinter vans, an SUV, and an SUV that all had to make it across this 3,000 miles in one piece. Chris, how far out from, from Race Across America did you guys decide this was a plan? Because the logistics that, that <laughs> must have gone into that are staggering <laughs> it's it's it took us a full year to plan uh it's, yeah for it, it because for three. one thing like we we had never done this before we like we're starting from scratch so it was seeking out people that have done this before you know you get everyone's kind of plan because there's all different ways to do this um but what's going to be the best way that we can do it like so we're just yeah. kind of you know, picking little pieces out of each one and kind of making it work for, for our plan, our overall like vision. Um, 
and it was a lot of fundraising. It's not a, it's not a cheap date by any means. It's like a fourteen thousand right. dollar entry fee. Um, that alone, plus you know, you think of lodging before the race, so you can stage everything. It's lodging afterwards, um, food, you know, all the supplies that you need. We needed a trailer, like you know, it was. It, it's a lot. It's what do you think lot. the overall cost? What was the overall cost? Um, about. I mean, but you know, we were also paying for people's airfare to get there because we wanted to support our team as much yeah, as yeah, we yeah. could. So about about sixty grand. Sixty grand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a lot of money, but at the same time, even see this, this is something when you said yeah, a different breed. A lot of people, uh, when you said let's do something crazy, mm-hmm. first of the race across America is crazy. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thought of taking people that don't know each other, figuring out the logistics, figuring all of these things out, uh, you know, and you're, you're, you still got your own life. I mean, you've got a lot of, a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is something not many people will understand. Mm-hmm. They will look at that and go, that's not possible. It doesn't fit into my life right now. Right. Yeah. But the, the truth is it, if you look at it that way, it will never fit into your life because this is true. This is true. It, it was a full time job, and you know we we were we were swinging pretty big um, when we were looking for sponsors. I mean, we had a a meeting with Ford. Um, it was <laughs> yeah huge. A little car company, little yeah, car company. You know, um, it's some pretty high ups. Um, you know, Under Armour. Like we were, we were swinging for the fences. Like what, what can we do? We have this amazing group of people. Like just these people will never come together in this way ever again. And um, that was something that I always like kept in mind as we were like planning. Like this is something super special. Like, like we, I have, it has to be perfect. Like it's not, it's not going to work out perfectly because that's Ram. Like there's always something that's going to go wrong, but I'm going to make it the best that I can for, for everyone available in this race. Um, so I, what was that, what was that feeling like when, when you get to the point that you did it not, and I'm not even talking about the race Yeah, that you've figured out the financing, you've got the team, you've got the people, you're ready to go. That must have just been that in itself must have felt like a mountain that you just got done climbing. Um, you know, I don't know if I ever took that breath because yeah, there was yeah. always something that was going wrong. Yeah, like it, you know, it it was always like a last minute hurdle. It was always like you know we had a rider that we were kind of waiting on a pretty high profile individual, and he was in the middle of a very important, um, event that he was completing on his own. I won't go into too much detail, but we were waiting for him to give us a yes or a no. And I mean, it was like two weeks out. I'm like, this is not fair to my backup rider who is continuing to train, you know, but is also needs to know if he's going to take this spot or not. You know, like there's always like these, these things that are happening, um, that you just kind of have to deal with. And, and one of the, the mantras that I always would remind myself is like improvise, adapt and overcome. Like this is what we have to do is improvise, adapt and overcome no matter what. Um, You know, we had a tour bus. This is another example of things that go wrong. Um, And we had our, our title sponsor had their logo wrapped on the bus 
great. On the way to Ram, it was coming from from Georgia to California. The bus breaks down. Oh, no. (laughs) I'm like, where are we going to put all of our stuff? Like, how are we going to do this race? You know, and so they sent another bus out, but it didn't have, it wasn't wrapped with our title sponsor logo. Like, we need that bus back. And so, like, that bus... That bus came, like the second bus came, we packed it up and then we're like, okay, we'll meet you in Prescott. You know, so now we're like trying to meet a moving target right? with 24, 26 people's stuff, <laughs> all the bikes, all the gear, everyone. I mean, and then we had to switch everything out of that bus. It was like all hands on deck to do this. And one thing that I love about that team is, is everyone on that team were alphas. <laughs> Like every single person could definitely hold their own and everyone checked their ego at the door. Yeah. Cause that, no- that's right. What's like up? that's the hard part, right? Like you can have a lot of people like that, but can you have a cohesive group work together uh, with a single minded goal and, and make that happen? That sounds like that's what you had. It, it totally was. And it was one thing. I think everyone understood the mission and the mission came first, no matter what. And that was something that we continually stressed to our team. You know, um, one message that I continually gave my team with any kind of of email, I just repeated it over and over again. Is like, you guys, this is more than a bike race. Don't ever forget There's, that this is more than a bike race. This is a life changing event. Don't forget this. And we're out here to make a difference. Um, any. Anytime you can be part of something bigger than you, yes, uh, it's it's uh, it's it's you because you don't think about yourself. You don't have to think about yourself. You don't get to feel sorry for yourself the same kind of way. Yeah, you know, uh, and and to have you know we talk about on here all the time the shared purpose and challenge having the, a group of people that are like minded with the same goal. Everyone driving to this one thing. Uh, I think that's what's so great about even the military, right? And I mean, I yeah. just said this on, on the athletic brewing podcast It's like, Hey, wh- what was the great thing about it? Is it, it didn't matter where you're from, what your color was, what your economic status was. Nothing matters because you share this thing, yeah. this direction you're heading. And there's something beautiful in that. And it's, I think what we're lacking, uh, I mean, I'll get on soapbox, but, but as, yeah. but as, as a country, right? Like there's a reason after nine 11, people felt a certain way because we shared something. Yeah. It's tragedy. It's tragedy, which sucks. But yeah. Um, so, so even in the, that small world of, of, of doing Ram and, and having these people uh, all, all kind of chipping in for the same thing. And that must've been an amazing thing to be part of. It was amazing. And, you know, um, some really great, you know, um, ex-military guys on the team. And it was awesome to see them in action. Yeah. You know, like we're going to run a rock drill because this is how we're going to, you know, figure out how we're going to do our our transitions, our, you know, shift transitions. And just to see like the, how methodical and structured and I, like, I thrive on that, like structure routine, yeah. like all of those things. And I'm like, this is amazing. Um, and so it was great to have their guidance and their mentorship, but they also respected me as their crew chief. Wow. Um, so, you know, just, just being in a, in an SUV with a, a, 
you know, former Navy SEAL guy and sharing stories. And it was great. Like we're still, you know, every, any single person on that team I could call up right now and we could, you know, catch up like, you know, it was like no time has passed at all. They're just such amazing humans. And, um, you know, like when you suffer together, like that yes. also kind of brings you together. And I think that's like a military thing too, right? When you, you suffer together, like you bond that much closer. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot of people that are way more qualified than, than me to speak on this, but, and it doesn't even have to be military. I've done things with, right. that are hard. You don't even have to, you don't even have to like the person as much, but you share a bond. Right. You went through something together. Uh, and that is, that, that, that's a powerful thing. Is it something you've thought about doing again? Um, I have, um, you know, the nonprofit that I was with, um, I've, I've since left, um, just because, you know, sometimes life happens and, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. and my, my co-founder wanted to do it again and, and I wasn't quite ready to do it again. It was such a big project. Sure. And I feel like sometimes when you jump into things again, right away, like you lose some of that, like, um, like how big and how great it was. Um, I was still digesting it all. And uh, on top yeah. of, you know, mountains of, uh, of receipts and everything else, trying oh, to right, find, right, right, you know, right. all the gear where it went. And like, he was already planning the next team. And I'm like, but wait a second here. Like, I want to do this justice. Like I want to like personally thank everyone that was a part of this and that made this happen. And like, I, I didn't want to just like let go of it right away and move on to something else. It felt like it was too big, too special to just move on. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting too. And you know, some people, they, they try and relive something as quick, you know, they hold on to this special thing and it's never, it's never going to be the same. same. Yeah. And I know, you know, they did it again this year and it, I'm sure it was great. And I know another team did it, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a big project and, you know, you have to be able to take the time away from your family. Like it's huge. it took us six and a half days to, to make it. Um, but you also need, you know, days on the front end, days on the back end. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a big commitment. Um, to, you know, continually ask for that time. Um, but you know, I think when the time is right, maybe I would do it again for sure. Yeah. Chris, I, I alluded to something in the, in the beginning of, of, uh, your, uh, you, be, you, you being an ambassador here for consequence of habit mm -hmm. and not, not that I didn't understand why and that would actually never even came to my mind, but you know, you, sometimes you wonder what brings people together. Because mm -hmm. the one one of the beautiful things I think about about COH is that we've got people from one all over the, the country and and all types of different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. uh, and then before we hit record, you you were you were open about some of the struggles that that you, you know not just yourself but some members of your family have had, and, and you've had an opportunity to, to speak about them. Mm -hmm. uh, if you if you're comfortable with it and, and it's something you you're you're willing to talk about, I'm sure there's, there's some people that get a lot from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's a subject that I was never super comfortable talking about, and then like once I started talking about it, I realized how um, how free I felt and how much 
I realized I was benefiting and helping other people. Um, so to kind of back up, um, so my, my sister, uh, who's seven years younger than me, uh, when she was in high school, she was a really good kid. She, you know, we came from a a middle-class suburban family. My parents are both, um, married, happily married. She played sports. She had a job. She was a a 4.0 student. Um, but unfortunately she kind of got mixed up in a crowd, um, that was, um, you know, kind of not the best crowd for her. And she started taking uh, narcotics at that time. And narcotics, as we know, are kind of a gateway to other drugs. And so when she got into college, um, you know, this guy had asked her if she would try heroin just one time. Yeah. No big deal. Just just one time. Just it'll be fun. And that's all it took one time. And she was, she was hooked. And so she went through about, I don't know, I think it was about seven years of this terrible cycle. Um, You know, she, man, she was arrested she was uh, living in a in a house with I don't even know who, and yeah. their only food was ketchup and water, so they could afford their habit. Um, it was terrible. So why this is why this is you're you're seeing this on a, on a fairly regular basis, right? Like this wasn't something where she was just kind of gone, and then you'd find out. Uh, maybe she's not doing well. I, like, what was your guys? We, you know, what's uh, funny? We had no clue. Like, she would kind of, you know, she was fine, and then you know, we wouldn't see her for a while. And and you know, when you're in your early twenties, like, you know, we we knew that she was in school or that she, you know, I think eventually she she took some time off school. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents had no clue that that she was heavily addicted to heroin, and that's the scary part. And so it wasn't until, you know, one day she showed up at my parents' house and she looked like a corpse, like she was pale, uh, gaunt. She had track marks running up and down her arms and she was looking for help. And my mom was completely taken aback. And um, she called me immediately and I was working at the hospital. Um, and I rushed over there and, and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, I couldn't believe like this was my sister. And, um, and this was, this was before the true, like, you know, um, epidemic was happening. There was not as many resources available. And so my mom and I, we're searching the internet for any kind of help that we could find, but it was a Friday afternoon. Like everything was closed. We felt completely helpless. And, um, and you know, she started, my sister started uh, withdrawing, started getting physically ill. And she's like, I gotta go. I gotta go. And she just took off. And so we never knew if we were going to see her again. 
Mm. And um, she ended up coming back in a few days and we got her into um, a treatment facility, but then she checked herself out. It was just so frustrating. Um, You know, did you have an understanding of that at that point? Because, you know, you, you mentioned, Hey, this is a good kid, right? Mm -hmm. Did you have an understanding of, of addiction at that point where, where, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times these things don't matter. Mm -hmm. matter, Sometimes it does, but sometimes we're just unlucky. We're in an environment where something is given to us. Mm -hmm. Um, and, Especially, I would think, and because I, I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth, but, mm-hmm. but from, coming from somebody who's who's part of your identity is being disciplined and mm-hmm. being able to decide when I do something, when I don't, if mm-hmm. it, that had to be uh, that had to be really hard to digest what was going on to see somebody you love so much go through this and and like, hey, do why, just stop doing this thing? No, a hundred percent. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it it. Um, I had a lot of negative feelings toward her. Yeah. Um, sure. Once she did, she ended up getting on methadone, which is, you know, replacing one addiction with another. Yeah. And I was mad. I was so mad at her. Like, why can't you just stop? Like, you know, this makes you feel terrible. And this methadone clinic is just wants you addicted to that. Right. And they just want to take your money and, and, you know, it's, it's terrible. And, um, and I never saw her go through the withdrawal and how physically Mm. ill that she got. And I think I maybe would have understood better if I would have physically seen that. Um, I didn't know how to help her, honestly. Yeah. Well, at that point, uh, you know, we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. And, and like you said, it wasn't in the spotlight and we didn't, you know, a lot of people hadn't dealt with somebody, um, you know, dealing with something as powerful as an opioid addiction. And we, and we just don't, you don't realize it, you know, it's, man, once that it gets its hooks in, you know, that's, uh, that is a heavy, heavy lift for a lot of people. Uh, and we can, we can go on for days about, how implicit the uh, big pharma is in all of this, mm-hmm. but uh, I think I think that story's been told enough times. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when they especially when they started wanting to open up their own treatment facilities for the drug that they got people hooked on. Right, right. You sons of bitches. Right. Sons. I know. Godly. I know. Um, so, you know, I, I feel very, very fortunate and grateful that you know she did have that day where she just said enough is enough and I'm, I'm getting off of this. Yeah. And she did. And she, um, cleaned up her life, went back to school, got a double major in you know, biology and environmental sciences and she's doing great. But I, I, I understand like, this is not the situation that most people go through. This is not the outcome that a lot of families are experiencing right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an important one because people need to know that there is a flip side to this, right? Like there's, there are a million horror stories out there, but there is hope. And, uh, there's, there's people go on to live amazing lives Mm -hmm, for sure. But, but it's, but it's hard, you know, and I feel, um, grateful that, 
she allowed me to share her story. Uh, she pretty much wrote her her memoir in a way um, and, and let me read it to um, a few hundred people. I've done it now several times. Um, and that allowed me to have a true understanding of what she was experiencing. Yeah. Um, you know, when she talks about how she, you know, missed a vein and, and the feeling of that burning, you know, drug within her arm and, and having to hide it because like my grandparents were coming to the house to check on her, you know, like all of these, these little instances, um, so, you know, I, I was able to share that that part. Um, and I was joined with the former uh, Wisconsin DA who kind of gave a lot of the statistics on the opioid epidemic. And so he kind of took the other side, the more analytical, you know, all the, the, the numbers part. And I told the more emotional side. And um, it was amazing to see the look on people's faces and how shocked they were. They were so shocked that, you know, that it happened to someone like our family, like our, you know, this kid who was a good kid and who was, you know, write it down on paper was doing everything right. And this shouldn't happen to her. You know, she doesn't fit the mold of uh, an inner city, you know, kid or something like that, that, you know, is in a gang or, you know, whatever that person, you know, we think that person should be, you know, she never fit that person's um it, it, she never fit the mold. And so, you know, I just want all those parents out there to know that, you know, it can happen to anybody. And I wish yeah. my parents would, I think they're still shameful. I still think they don't know how to talk about it. Um, they've yeah. never listened to me tell, tell the story. Um, we never talked about it as a family afterwards. It was always kind of like mm. something that happened and we don't talk about it. Um, and so that's sad. It's really unfortunate, but it has been so freeing to me to kind of take that emotional pain and turn it into something positive, um, turn it, you know, benefit another family out there that may be missing some warning signs or, um, you know, people that are just oblivious to, to how truly devastating this epidemic is. Yeah. There's so much shame wrapped up in it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, I think uh, that there's there's an opportunity when we talk about habits, right? So mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to be very clear at is that this is not an addiction. This isn't even an addiction nonprofit. This isn't an addiction podcast mm-hmm. because all of these things fall into this basket of habits, and each one of those things has consequences. Mm-hmm. And what I'll, you know, that's. It's not a lack of moral character. You know, we can teach your kids, hey, just know if you smoked a cigarette once, that doesn't mean it wrecks your entire life. Although, who knows? Maybe it will. But but it's not the same as, you know, there's a lot of people that have, you know, tried weed mm-hmm. and gone on. And who Not only gone on, there's people smoke weed that still have some very successful lives, right? right? Uh, you don't hear that about crack. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's very few recreational crack. Like the, the, the consequences are way more extreme. And I, it, I mean, I hate to joke around about it, but, um, and at the same time, these people, people don't try, they don't try heroin. They don't try crack going, Hey, I want to be addicted to this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, I want to be a junkie. 
It's just yeah. these are the consequences of our habits. Yeah. Um, so that's what I think it's after talking to you about these things, it, to me, it makes a lot more, um, oh, not a lot more sense, but I understand your passion around these things. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, what we see is this passion around physical fitness as a habit, mm-hmm. but for obvious reasons, mental health, addiction, all of these things to really seem to be uh, uh, something you put a spotlight on. For sure. Um, and I think it took a lot, it took a few years before I figured it all out myself. Right. But when you start putting all the pieces together and you see that, um, like, this is what I was meant to do. This is where yeah. I shine. This is where I can benefit. Cause it's not just about me. It's about, you know, I want to help other people to, um, to, take their health and their physical fitness and make it a priority. Like that's my, that's my true goal. And, and as I'm getting into my own coaching and things like that, like when you put your health first and you put your habits first, taking care of yourself, your number one, everything else in your life benefits, your family benefits from it, your job benefits from it. You are a better person. You are better. You're better able to do everything else in life when you make yourself number one and it's not being selfish. And I would hate, I, I, there's so many moms out there. I, I get it. Like, you know, we get too busy. We're doing all these other things and then we put ourselves last Yeah, and it's got to flip. We got to flip the switch. We got to put ourselves first. And it's, yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen it. I mean, I've seen it with people I love very much have, have, fallen into that trap with, you know, without understanding, uh, that when we are taking care of ourselves, we offer the rest of the world, the healthiest version of ourselves. The ones that everyone deserves, right? Right. We deserve it personally. Yep. Uh, because we deserve to be happy and, and fit and everything that goes along with that. But then you're, you, you are the best version of yourself for everyone else around you. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's not something I, I I don't I don't think a lot of people understand. I mean, I mean, shit. Sometimes I don't understand. <laughs> I'd be honest with you. <laughs> uh, um, what are, what are some of your goals? What are some of the things that you have coming up? You're looking forward to. You seem somebody that is very goal oriented. You've done. I mean, you just did some huge races uh, this season. What is it? What what's on the the calendar? Uh, what crazy? Oh, God. A cool thing you got planned. Anything? You know, um, I had none of that really planned <laughs> this past season. Oh, really? No, I just was kind of just on a whim. Like, you know, one of my my favorite like mantras is like say, say yes and then ask questions. Um, yeah. And so, like that was, you know, I, I competed in Hell on the Hill, which was a a crazy uh, hill race up and down the same hill 65 times for um, a half marathon distance. And I think it was oh. like, you know, 8,000 feet of vert or something crazy. Um, but it was like so fun. Like it was such a great event. So when things like that, like present themselves, I'm like, I'm all in. Like I want to do things that are really hard, that are really fun, that challenge me that make me like get out of my comfort zone. And, you know, I just love the whole, um, you know, kind of getting comfortable or, 
you know, getting comfortable being uncomfortable. I think that's how we make ourselves stronger people. Um, so I guess looking forward, um, you know, I still have these like big marathon goals that I'm chasing, uh, some pretty fast times. And so it'll be some, a lot of off season training, um, to get stronger, faster for a longer period of time. Um, and then hopefully a spring marathon and another fall one, if I can stay healthy and, you know, injury free, that's always the goal. And then whatever kind of pops up, you know, between now and then I'm, I'm always game game. Do you have a pipe dream of, of an event, something in your life where you're going, Hey, this would be, uh, I mean, it seems almost like I can't do it, but, but boy, if I could, man, this would be something that would be just huge. Oh, that's such a great question. Um, you don't have to have an answer for yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, you know, I don't, you know, my, my ultimate goal and there's no, I don't see a, a specific place or an event that this happens at, but like, I, I want to break three hours in the marathon and I say it out loud so that it's, it's out there in the world and it's, you know, it's kind of that big, scary goal. And I don't know if it'll ever happen, um, but I'm going to keep chipping away at it the best that I can. Um, but yeah, I have I have two two friends that, you know, we're kind of starting to plan something like making our own race adventure right now. It's still very sure. much in the early stages of planning, so we'll see what happens with that. But I feel like, you know, I keep wanting to surround myself with these people that have big dreams and big goals and that aren't scared to say yes to things that, and then ask questions, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah. One of the friends that I'm kind of teaming up with, you know, ran, you know, I think she's run like 50 marathons. Her last one was in Antarctica. Wow. Um, you know, so she's, she's an amazing inspiration. Um, you know, she's written some books and, you know, I just, I love surrounding myself with people like that. Cause then I'm like, I don't, feel like such a, an outsider in their presence. And they just inspire me to like, you know, if they can do it, why can't I like, that's another thing that sure. I keep, I keep um, thinking about, like, I don't see limits to anything that I can, I can do. Like, I just feel like the world is out there and you can, you can conquer whatever you want to, as long as you put your mind to it and you have a plan and you keep practicing every single day. Like you keep working at those goals and eventually it'll happen. So that's, that's my mantra so far. That's what I'm aiming at. Oh, Chris, I, I can tell you your, your energy uh, is contagious. Uh, there, I've had multiple people that are either COH ambassadors or just people reach out and they're like, they really enjoy the content you're putting out there. It really motivates them. Oh, thanks. Uh, we're honored to have you on part of the team. I, I mean, it. it's, it's uh, I, I foresee big things happening just for you uh, for, for, for us as, as an organization. And, um, yeah, we're really stoked to have you. I just want to say that I just really enjoy this community so much and, and I'm super inspired by the people that you have brought on. Um, and I just feel like, you know, we're a tribe, like we're going to help push ourselves. And I, you know, what's the quote where they say like the sum of the, um, like the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Like, I feel like that's us. Like we are greater together, um, than we are individually. So when we, you know, combine, we're going to do great things together. Love it. God, I got got goosebumps. (laughs) I got legit guy goosebumps. Big things. Um, 
Chris, thank you. Yes, big things. And 2023 is going to be a big year. I love it. Uh, thank you so much for, ta- for, for taking the time to do yeah, this. Thank you. Thank you for um, having me. I, I like... Yeah, this, I, I'm sure you'll be back on. Uh, and anyone who wants to follow you, where where can they find you? Uh, I'm on on Instagram at um, I think it's Chris Bachman. Um, it's just my name, and I'm on Facebook. And um, also, I have I can add my my coaching website to uh, to the show notes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Awesome, Chris. Thanks. Thanks again. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll hear more from you here soon. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. That's it for me. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Huge thanks to you, Chris Bachman, for coming on and uh, getting real on here, man. Hey, just a reminder, if you guys want to support us, head on over to consequenceofhabit.org. Hit that donate button. Show us a little love. That's it. Have a great week, everybody. And we will catch you next Tuesday. This show is brought to you by... The team here at Consequence of Habit and is an arm of our 501c3 nonprofit. The show is produced and edited by the one and only Anthony Palmer and is part of the Palm Tree Pod Company network of podcasts.